Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. And then today, my mom and dad are going to come forward and share with you all um, right now. How about you guys come on down, give it up for Perry Sr. and Terry. If you guys want to grab uh, microphones right there, the red one and the green one, it'll, it'll, it'll help you out. All right, Mom wanted to sit on the end. Dad can, can be the, the rose between two thorns. Oh. <laughs> and um, really, I just wanted them to share because, honestly, um, I don't, well, they've never shared at City Chapel, ever. Um, we've never had them <laughs> preach at City Chapel. And actually, they've never, no one's ever allowed them to share at any church no. that I am aware of. <laughs> See how I phrase that? <laughs> it's just, um, so this could be interesting. Um, but, they're, but they're my parents, and um, I know that they're, they, they're not perfect. They're not the perfect examples. Uh, Jesus is perfect. Everybody else is still working. Um, but uh, I, I just wanted them to share with you all some things that um, the Lord has kind of taught them over the years. Um, we are now, I'm 38. My brother's 35. My sister is 28. So we're, we're, we're out of the house, and they are, um, it's, just, it's just the two of them. Um, but, you know, they've, they've gone through some real phases um, of raising children, and um, I, I wanted them to share some, just some secrets, some things that they have learned about um, parenting, and then, um, and then maybe share, I, I know everybody really wants to hear some funny things. Um, so we were talking about this the other night. They couldn't think of anything that I had done that was not good. So, you know, it's, just, it's difficult. It's tricky when you're as perfect as I was as a child. It's really tricky. But they did. They did. <laughs> I did almost kill my brother once. That, they, they didn't find out about fruit. You don't tell mom and dad that stuff. I mean, but anyway, but there was one time that, that you were kind of embarrassed, rather embarrassed by me. Um, so I thought maybe you could share that story to sort of kick it off. Icebreaker. Do I need to talk into a microphone? Yes. All right. Yes. Okay. Um, well, we didn't come from Christian homes. We came from moral homes, but um, God was not a part of them, part of it. And so, um, plus, we grew up next door to each other. Um, I moved into the neighborhood when I was four, and not they didn't grow up next door to me. No, we grew up next door to each to each other here. Yes, mom and dad. I'm just giving a little background of us, okay? Oh, so that, 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 that's not the embarrassing part? No. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, well. well, other than Harry is almost identical to his father in many, many ways. They and and both so sweet. And, his, and he was the bully of the neighborhood. And so um, up in Michigan, there's actually white stuff called snow. A lot. It used to be a lot. And so mm. we would ride the school bus, you know, to school, come home. Well, somehow he always managed in the winter to be the first kid off the bus. And I don't know how he ever did it. I mean, our friends and everything, he made snowballs that were harder than ice. And he had a whole pile of them before we even got off the bus. And so as we got off the bus, he is hitting us with all of these um, snowballs. But um, yeah, he just didn't mean stuff like that our whole life. But somehow we fell in love and got married. <laughs> I like this. It's more embarrassing things about dad. This is good. No, he like told it. me that he loved me even then. And, you know, he was just doing that to get my attention. It, it's not true. Yeah, he calls it flirting, but at six, it's not flirting. There's a, there's a, there's a reason why I was the first one off the bus is because all the good kids used to be able to sit right up by the driver. So hmm. I used plausible. to get to be the first one off the bus. Now you can tell them about it. So anyway, we did get married, and we dated for five years. We got married, and then we waited five years to have Harry. And um, so we got involved in a church um, right when we got saved, and Harry was, we dedicated him to the Lord, and so we just began this little process. 
of trying to figure out how you do this parenting stuff. And one night we had our youth pastor over and his wife, and I mean, really, I don't know why we did it, but we did it. They, they came over, we're sitting in the living room, and we're just chit-chatting away, and here he was. He was almost four, so old enough to know better. And so um, all of a sudden, his underwear come flying <laughs> out into the living room where we're sitting, and I gasped. <laughs> And so here he is standing in the doorway, butt naked, <laughs> and I'm just going, oh my gosh. And luckily, the pastor's wife had a, um, a degree in um, young, young education, you know, and so, um, you know, they laughed about it, and then she looks at us and said, well, you know, all behavior's learned. <laughs> and so that... He proceeds to say that he learned it from me, but it is not true. I don't know where he learned it, but anyway. And so then he goes, he looks like Micah, you know, Micah darts in and out all the time. And so he darts back out of the room with no underwear. And I'm going, hmm, wonder if he's going to get some underwear out of his drawer and put him back on. But I don't know what happened. I've always liked to get a reaction. I've always yes, enjoyed that. Yes, he likes a reaction. I have so. always enjoyed that. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah. I've since learned of other ways. It's true. To get reaction. <laughs> yeah. So. And so you all were, grew up in a moral, rather moral home. I mean, your parents tried to instill moral values in you, um, but not necessarily a Christian home. And so you first got saved just when you were pregnant for me, right? Is that is that right? Um, I'll be honest with you all. I think I got saved six times. <laughs> <laughs> well, Yeah. <laughs> Harry and I, when we dated, we would go to, Billy Graham used to make movies, you know, and the, I remember the, I think it has to be the one that really I got saved at was For Pete's Sake, it's called. And every single time we went to this movie, I, you know, then at the end they asked for an altar call. I turned to Harry and say, hey, you want to go forward? He says, I'll go forward with you, but I don't want to go forward. So all six times I dragged him forward. <laughs> and, he sat there while I prayed the sinner's prayer with the counselor. And so, yeah, um, we actually started living for the Lord shortly before you were born. Okay. Yeah. He did eventually get saved, people. <laughs> I don't, was it at one of those? I don't remember. It wasn't at one of those. It was at a different, at a different um, ch church we went to one time. And um, actually, your brother John got saved at that same church at that same revival meeting they had and uh, I went forward then and I meant it so mm. yeah that's awesome so from that then you started a young family dad mm. was working at JC Penney's unloading boxes ah yeah I think. yeah that's true that's, you, that's true so you hurt your back at the JC Penney's right uh yeah I did actually originally hurt my back then because mm. I was taking unloading the trucks take put them on a Little hand cart, wheeling them into the store, putting them up on shelves and whatnot. Yeah, so I worked in the stock room then, and uh, yeah. Yeah, and so then they had me, and um, one time that, that that was kind of funny. I was talking to Dad a couple of years ago, asking asking him what his favorite Christmas was, hmm. and um, he said his favorite Christmas was when I was four. Um, I had um, chicken pox, and. Um, <coughs> Apparently, that was his dad's favorite Christmas was the year I had chicken pox because I couldn't go anywhere. And so normally, her mom's family is doing a lot of activity around Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And so we just got to stay home as a family. And, um, I mean, he dad still likes all the other stuff, but I, it was just a special time where, you know, Harry Jr. is down on the floor in his underwear, scratching his back on the carpet, right. watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And um, but as a family, we kind of all got to be together. Peter was about a year old, um, and yeah, we just had that. That was his favorite Christmas. But That's true. Yeah, we were just all together, and we we're listening to the music, listening to heavy and different music mm. then. And nobody came over because of the chicken pox. So you know, it was kind of kind of good that uh, we just just us us four, and uh, we had a. To me, it was a real good, real mm. good time. Yeah, and so I've I've known I've only known um, Christian version of mom and dad, obviously, um, but uh, from a very early age they decided that they were going to have a Christian home, 
and raise um, Christian kids, uh, which is which, which is a pretty serious thing to decide and to um, make up your mind that that's going to happen. And um, Dad was telling me about a conversation somebody had with you um, in Michigan, in, well, in, in Port Huron, Michigan. We're on the knuckle of the thumb. And yes, it does look like a mitt. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, Cassie, uh, this, this, Cassie doesn't think it looks like a mitt, but anyway. Uh, the state sort of looks like this, and uh, we live right here, and so there's, there's a lot, uh, we're in a port town. Um, and so massive um, freighters come through um, our town all the time. Um, and they're about 1,000 feet um, from front to back, front to back. That's, that's over a football field. I mean, they're, they are huge boats, and they drive, they come in through this little channel and stuff. And so I think a, a pastor was talking to you about that. And so um, we, we, we actually have a picture uh, to show you what this is actually, this is Port Huron. This is the water I grew that's up. A, that's a freighter. Yeah. yeah. That's what we call a freighter. And uh, it travels up and down the, the, the river there. Um, if you look at where Michigan is, and it's just right on the border of Canada, there's that, uh, the Great Lakes are right there. And so that's a, you know, one of the freighters that goes up and down the Great Lakes with ore, steel, different things. And um, like you said, it's, you know, a thousand footer. And it doesn't sound like much when you say a thousand footer, but when you say it's a football field, now that's pretty big, even on TV. But if you've ever stood on a football field, those yards are bigger than three foot long. They are bigger. I mean, it's mm. just, <clears throat> when you're down there on that football field, it is huge. It is a huge thing. And think that, that those freighters, and that's what we were doing. We were, to us, and then the minister, uh, the pastor was explaining, it's, it's kind of like a freighter, you know, uh, to, we are turning, we were moral and, and our families were moral, but we wanted to turn that around to be Christian. And you're talking about a, a, a ship like that to get turned around relatively has a small rudder for the size of that, of that ship. And to turn that around, it starts turning and it doesn't just turn around automatically, I mean instantly. It, turn, it, takes it, a, takes it a bit to turn that thing around. I mean, but if you keep it turned in the right direction, you're going to make it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, when, when you come from a family uh, and a, a series of families, it's not just yeah. the family you grew up in, there's the family your parents grew up in and the family they, their parents grew up in. You have a, a freighter worth of history pushing you in one particular direction which is why it's so darn hard to follow God sometimes because it's not just you it's not just what's in your heart it's what was put in your heart by your parents and then what was put in their heart by their parents and there's a there's so much weight and I don't know what well, dad was telling me about that I said I, I know you guys don't see freighters very often but but it's it's such a picture I think of what many of the families at City Chapel are trying to do um, they have, they are many first generation Christians where you are really trying to turn this thing around. Or maybe your parents were in church, but they weren't, they didn't live it at home. And you're really trying to do something different for the first time. And it's difficult and it doesn't come easy and it doesn't happen quickly. Um, but I can tell you, I've seen, I've seen the turn. You know what I mean? I've seen, like, I've seen the panoramic view of the, of the shift of a family that, uh, which, which is something I sort of wish my kids could see um, because they only see this straight direction. They don't know, they never got a good view of what it's like to go the other way. Um, so really it's, it's, it's tricky for them. It's almost like they've grown up in wealth, spiritual wealth. And when you grow up in wealth, you take it for granted. And you think it'll always be there. The money will always be there. And you forget what it took to make it. You know, and so that's if you talk to rich people, that's their biggest concern is that their kids will be lazy and they won't learn what they had to learn to make the money they made. Well, the same is true spiritually. M my kids haven't seen me pay a huge price um, for my spiritual walk with God. Um, they, I've just always had it in their mind. We've always, we just always have it. You just have it. You just know God. You just, you know, you just, <laughs> and, and they haven't seen. Uh, the the years uh, that it took for my parents to to turn this thing around, and so I just want to encourage some of you that 
you feel like you're you're you got so much weight shoving you in a particular direction um, I'm telling you it's possible to turn it around it's possible for your kids to have a different story than than you have it's possible for your kids to be sharing about the turn that they saw and uh, you don't have to be perfect you just have to start turning <laughs> you know what I'm saying and 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 I don't mean like a half inch at a time you know what I mean like this thing ain't gonna happen you can't half inch your way some of you are sinners but anyway it works that way too you can't you can't half inch your way and if you just do a half inch an hour on, a, on that freighter you're gonna run aground you're never gonna turn around you gotta hit a hard right you gotta make some serious decisions and maybe that's a good challenge for 2019 how about you just hit a hard right and decide I'm gonna at least I'm gonna give it all that I got because you're not going to incrementally, slowly, softly follow God. This is not how this works. My, my parents did not just make a couple little changes in their life. They turned that thing around one hard right after another hard right after another hard right. You've got to make some serious um, shifts, some movement. And, 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 and the good news is if, if you'll do that, I'm telling you, you'll see the results of that. Um, and I've seen and I've seen the results from them and so what, what I want them to talk about today is just how they turned it around um, what what did it take what does it take um, to really turn a family around to turn a freighter around to create a better home for your kids than you grew up in um, what are some things and so uh, uh, I developed a couple of points based on what they were telling me some ease to go off of number one some this just some things that you need to give your kids uh, and 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 if, and if you're a single person, there's some things you need to give yourself. If you want to turn around, um, there's some things you need to do. One, you need to give them some examples, some godly examples, some good examples. Uh, it's 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 your impar it's imperative that you present them with a different picture, that you show them. And if and if you're just a single person, it's imperative it's imperative that you show yourself. A different picture that you start giving them some examples and that's something that mom was talking about that they set out to do early on we um we grew along with our kids to be honest I mean we were a little bit ahead of them but not that much ahead of um, them mm -hmm. and we submitted ourselves strongly to pastors to Christian leadership we our life was consumed with the church um, we always were at every single service I don't know of a time that our kid well when he had chicken pox maybe but <laughs> other than that um, and then you know we were really thinking about this for this month has got, just caused great gratefulness in my heart because um, the amount of godly people that have spoken into our kids mm. is unbelievable and people I'm telling you you can't do this alone I don't yeah. I don't know anybody that can raise a godly child alone because mm. there are people all around you you have to find them you have to seek them out mm. and they can speak into your kids um, they will tell you that um, they I learned how to pray with them learning how to pray from pastors that knew how to pray mm. and um, I re we required <laughs> that they read their Bible every day I mean Harry was eight I think when it mm. actually began and um, went in his bedroom or um, bathroom because Peter and him shared a room and um, they just had to um, read about read their Bible for 15 minutes now I didn't just assume they did it when they came out you know I would ask them so did you read your Bible yep um, where did you read they tell me where they read and um, then they have prayed for 15 minutes then we talk you know as they got older they never shared but Peter was loud so you heard Peter's prayers <laughs> <laughs> Harry was quiet and so you know you didn't necessarily hear Harry's but um it was something that they learned we went to prayer services our church had them at noon we I took the um, kids at noon um, we had them on Friday nights they went on Friday nights um, I trusted them 
at this point because they had been praying. Um, I told Harry last night, I remember, I think he was around nine, that you know we all got together at church and you start sitting in a big circle and just talked about prayer for a bit and then you would, they would separate and you'd go pray by yourself for about 15, 20 minutes. Well, we let our kids go pray by themselves because you know we trusted that that's what they were doing. Well, every once in a while I'd look up just to make sure I could see them. And this one time, we never did find Harry. We couldn't find him. And um, I'm going, do you know where Harry is? And he says, no, I haven't seen him. And so, you know, we just thought, well, when it's all over and they call you all back together, you know, we're looking, we're scanning the whole big room looking for Harry, and here he comes. He had climbed behind the pulpit. There was this huge pulpit sitting there, and he had climbed right in there and sat there. And, um, you know, he was either listening to everybody else pray or he was praying, whatever. But, um, you know, there is just nothing that can affect your children like being around adults, godly people that know how to pray. I think that was the most. I mean, Harry and I can't take a whole lot of credit for our kids because all these other people that were involved in our lives, they did lots without knowing they were doing lots. Well, I mean, you can take the credit of, of bringing us. Of putting, getting you in the place to Friday be able. Nights. Yeah, just this past Thursday night. You know, we have prayer on Thursday nights. Um, surprise. Uh, we have prayer on Thursday nights, and uh, it's just a few of us. You know, it's uh, Tina, uh, Michelle, me, Alicia a lot of times. Um, and this past week, uh, Christina came and brought, and brought two of her little girls, sweet little girls. And they were sitting right there, and the one was laying out on the chairs um, sleeping. While I was praying, I'm walking back and forth, and I'm, I'm praying out, and she, like, rolled over and <laughs> fell off the chair. And uh, it's kind of crash, bang, boom. And uh, I kind of stopped and looked, looked over. And I just, I don't know, I, 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 I just thought, I was like, man, that is, that is what we want. It's not a disturbance to me to have a child falling off a chair because you'd be surprised at what you pick up, even if you're just sleeping on a chair in a prayer meeting. Um, they may not look like they're praying. They may look like they're just sitting there staring away. Now, now, if you let them run all over and be crazy, then that's not good. That's not helpful, right? Uh, but, but if you can bring them to a prayer meeting and say, you're going to sit here and you're going to at least listen, you're going to hopefully pray, um, but this is how you pray. This is what it's like. You've got to give your kids some examples outside of your living room. If you had enough to turn this thing around in your living room, you would have turned it around a long time ago. You obviously can't do it. God never intended you to do it on your own. That's why he's got the church, the family of God. And so you all made sure, which, which, which means like if, if you're going to bring your kids to Thursday night prayer, you're going to have to show up to Thursday night prayer. I would, I would drop this, but it's Amen. too expensive. I just, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. But you might, you might have to get serious about your faith. You might have to want to learn how to pray yourself. And, uh, man, if, if you'll do that, like, yeah, like Mom said, so much of what I've learned has come from people who know how to pray, people who, who walk with God, people. I, I've always had examples of people. Yeah, my parents, but they were just learning too. So I've always had people that were further down the road. And, uh, man, I would encourage you to find some of those examples uh, well like our vacations were taken down in west virginia and that was camp meeting we there were some awesome men and women of god that showed up to those camp meetings that like terry said we were learning along with with them and we learned so much we we just soaked up everything like a sponge and and those those old men men and when they knew how to pray they were they go into a room before the service started and it, it was it was very so intimidating to be in that room with those people because they knew how to bring down heaven to into the room and it was it was an awesome awesome time and for us to be there and uh, it was constantly kept turning it felt like we were constantly turning that that rudder to keep it you know, turning the ship around and and keeping it straight, but it was, and it wasn't hard for us because that's what we, 
we're focusing on doing that we you know it just we look forward to that spending our vacation at camp meeting it was just a great time for those of you that have um, young people already um, one of the first I think it was the very first camp meeting we went to Harry would have been seven I would have said and so that makes Peter four Sarah wasn't <laughs> Sarah's ten years behind Harry <laughs> and so she wasn't there but this very first camp meeting we went to their young people um, are were extraordinary and I kept watching these young people well there was this one kid he was 14 years old and I don't know why I was drawn to him and their sanctuary had steps coming down each side to get to the balcony. Well, the young people sat on the steps because it was so full. Well, then um, we went to camp meeting. I watched this kid the whole time, and we got back home. And our pastor that we kind of went with, you know, there was a whole group of us that went, he had gotten a letter back from um, one of the pastors there, and so in our prayer time at noon, he read this letter. And I'm going, I know that kid. I watched him. And so the story goes that this young man um, had gone into the bathroom to use the restroom, and he was 14. <laughs> so if you know a 14-year-old, think of this 14-year-old. He'd gone in the bathroom to use the restroom, came out, was washing his hands, and a minister that was there that, you know, he, kind of, he knew that he was a minister, um, walked in and used the restroom too. When he came out and washed his hands, the young man looked at him and said, Sir, may I pray for you? And this um, pastor said, You most certainly can. I mean, they, they held young people in high regard. They aren't looked on. I mean, they're, they're as godly, you know, they were godly young men. This 14-year-old instantly dropped to his knees, grabbed that pastor's ankles, and prayed for five minutes to God asking him to anoint him because he knew he was going to be preaching. And they shared, this note came back saying, telling us, because they knew we were watching this kid, and um, to say that, to tell us that story. And that's what their young people did all the time. I mean, they weren't intimidated to be around godly people because they were godly themselves. And um, anyway, I went so far that this kid just grabbed a hold of my heart, and he wasn't in a Christian home, people. <laughs> I found out more. His mother and dad weren't saved. He went to church by himself. And, you know, and so his big desire that year, we went in July. In September, he wanted to be able to go to a Christian school. And um, I had kept in contact with one of the pastors down there, and he was telling us that. And so I went to Harry, and I said, could we please pay for this kid to go to Christian school? And, I mean, we didn't have any extra money and um, said yes. So we drove down um, to West Virginia and talked to the pastor there, and they said, you know what, I'm, I betcha they're not going to let you do that. And so Harry met with the dad, and the dad said no. He said he would not do it. And, I mean, we pleaded, we pleaded, we pleaded, and he said no. And you know what? God knew what he's doing. Because guess what? That young man has a church today. And he didn't need no Christian school. <laughs> you know, honest, he, they're all extraordinary down there. And then I just remember one other night we were there. It was a Sunday night. It was um, at the end, a Saturday night at the end of camp meeting. Um, the pastor of the church spoke. And he um, was speaking on heroes. He loved Superman, super, you know, he had a Superman shirt on the whole bit, and he was speaking on heroes, and he asked everybody in the congregation um, to go to somebody in that congregation that's your hero. Now, you know what? You have to know people pretty intimately. You have to have invested in them, and I mean, everybody got up. I mean, honest, the whole church was just moving, 500 people, and um, Harry and I, we just sat there while our two sons got up. And <laughs> They went to two pastors, didn't you? I think you went to yeah, two. Yeah. And um, just said to them that you're my hero. That's all they said. You're my hero. And came back and sat down. And afterwards, the pastor came up to us and um, said, your sons came to us and said, we're your, their hero. 
And I said, well, truly, you really are. Yeah. And so, but yeah. it was just so touching. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. I think sometimes we have such low expectations um, of ourselves is where it starts. And then of our kids, of our teenagers, um, that we're shocked when they act like Christians. <laughs> you know? But, man, I'm telling you, like, if you would, if, uh, if you would give them some godly examples, if you would get them around some godly examples, it, it, it would lead to some godly encounters, which is the second thing I was thinking, is that mom and dad made sure that we had encounters with God. And um, it's, it, it's been so vital in my life to be in. I remember that sermon. I was seven years old. I remember Pastor Wright preaching about heroes. And um, I remember that, that, it, that it really touched me. It spoke to me on my level. And um, I actually re-preached that sermon when I could, could preach as, as at Promised Land from memory. I didn't have a tape or anything. I just re-preached it. <laughs> I stole it. And uh, because it's so important to have godly heroes, to have examples in your life that you can look to and you can say, well, I've, you read something in scripture and you're like, oh, I've never met anybody like that. That's a problem. You, you ought to have met somebody like that. I mean, maybe just one person, but you got to get around somebody because your kids need to see Jesus with skin and bones and like a real person. Otherwise, it's just like Santa Claus. Otherwise, it's just this fairy tale that's out there somewhere and they're not really sure if, if it even exists. And so when you find some of these people, and hopefully City Chapel is a place where you have some godly examples, but man, then you need to make sure that they have some godly encounters. Uh, they have some encounters with God, which is why we, we, we encourage people to come to church uh, because it's here uh, at church, it's in prayer meetings. I, I know you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but we're talking about turning around a freighter. We're not talking about getting into heaven by the skin of your teeth. We're talking about your kids leaving a legacy, doing something big. If you're going to do something big, you've got to make some big changes. And one of the changes they made was every single Sunday, man, we were in church. And I remember one Sunday missing a soccer championship when I was 14. Uh, we... AYSO, man, we made it to the to the championship game, and it was on Sunday, and we didn't. I didn't participate, even though I was one of the better players. Uh, I didn't. Part I thought I'd throw that in. I didn't participate <laughs> because God comes first. Because we we're we're too busy turning right to be bothered with a soccer game. We're too busy making this hard turn, and that's and that's 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 the kind of focus I'm talking about. That we, that we say that, that if our kids don't get anything else, we want them to have a relationship with God. And I know, I know it could borderline on legalism. I know people, and, and, but you know, like I've, I've come to decide that if we were half as afraid of compromise as we are of legalism, we'd be twice as holy. We're so, ooh, tweet that. Hashtag Pastor Harry said, if we were half as afraid of compromise as we were of legalism, we'd be twice as holy. We were so afraid. Like, and, and even mom said that, you know, she used to make us go pray. <gasps> Can't make your kids go pray. Why not? You make them take out the trash. You make them do all kinds of things. Important things. Important things ought to be important. And if, they, if they're important, then, then, then we do them. And, and, and it's like, well, dude, how are they going to develop a relationship with God? I don't know. God will speak to them. God will figure it out. But you put them in the right place. How are they, how are they going to develop a relationship with God if they're not praying? Let's just, let's just go down that road. If they're watching more TV and playing more Minecraft than they are praying and reading the Bible, how are they going to get the fact that this is actually important to you? How are they going to understand that? Because we are preaching to our kids. We are telling our kids all the time what's really important to us. And what my mom and dad did is they just said, look, an encounter with God is more important. So our vacations were camp meetings and our Friday nights were prayer meetings. And, uh, yeah, and so here we are. Um, this, is, this, is, this is the result of that. And I, just, I just thought of something. Can I share yeah, it? Yeah. It's about Peter, though. <laughs> I'll tell on Peter. All right. <laughs> Peter um, was always loud. And praying, <laughs> I mean, you know, he's loud now, but you know, <laughs> um, we were in a noon hour prayer time, and um, one of our pastors always paced back and forth in the back of the room. They just paced. They prayed out loud and they paced. 
and Peter really liked this pastor, and he was um, five at the time, and he would pace with him. He'd walk back and forth with him the whole time. He'd just walk back and forth. Well, then after a little bit, Peter started praying. This pastor prayed really loud, you know, and um, Peter started praying really, really loud. And um, so one Friday we were there at noon, and they're praying, and Peter's praying loud, and so Peter starts praying, Oh, God, help Pastor Rusty as he's speaking on Sunday. And I'm going, he's not speaking on Sunday. And so Peter's just praying that God anoints him and all this. I mean, he's five, and I'm up there, and I said, oh, well, you know. And so as we leave the room, the prayer ends, we leave the room, and as we're walking out the door, um, Peter says something to Pastor Rusty about preaching on Sunday. And um, he was really, really nice. He looked down, and he says, well, Peter, I'm not preaching this Sunday. And um, I went, mm, I didn't think he was. And so later on that afternoon, um, I got a call that Pastor Rusty got a call that he was going to preach Sunday. And so I remember thinking, I um, wrote down in a little journal thing of times my kids that I thought were extraordinary times, and I wrote down in there, either Peter just was lucky and just prayed that out and it just turned out, or else it was God-led. And that prayer, you know, because all true prayer originates with God. And so guess what? Your five-year-old can hear, I mean, the, he didn't know he was hearing from God, but he just prayed. And so anyway, I just wanted to tell you, it doesn't matter how little your kids are, because um, sometimes they really do hear from God when they're praying. But yeah. this, I, my husband did the most sacrificing of us all, I will tell you. He worked 55 hours a week. He drove 14 hours a week, and so added up. And every morning for a, it was a year, um, he wrapped the boys. Sarah wasn't born yet. Um, Harry was eight. We'd wrap him up in a quilt that we have. Take him, we'd take him for 6 a.m. church, lay him on the floor. Now, hey, they probably went back to sleep. Um, not all the time, but yeah. probably. Um, we could only be there a half hour because he had to take off to work and so um, he'd wrap him back up in the blanket and put him back in the car and then he'd take him home and he'd take off to work and that's just how he lived his life and that was his calling was yeah. and then for one whole the nine months I was pregnant for Sarah we drove three hours one way to church because we wanted this pastor the one that they would follow back and forth in the back because he had gone, moved three hours away. And so every Sunday morning, Dad would wrap him up in a quilt, put him in the back of the car. They'd sleep, they'd get dressed 15 minutes before we got to the church, and then... Um, Captain Crunch in the box. It's, it's what it was. That's how we rolled. It was. And that was then um, coming back home, they'd make a bed up in the back because we'd stay for night service, so we didn't head for home. Then we'd have to go for coffee with people, so we didn't head to home for home till about 9 or 10 at night, and we'd pull in at 1 in the morning, and he has to get up at 4. And so that's how we lived. The nine months Sarah was in my belly, <laughs> we did that. Yeah. And then they moved back to Port Huron, so. Yeah. Yeah, there is a sacrifice that uh, if you want extraordinary things, uh, that's true for anything, an extraordinary marriage, an extraordinary, if you want to start a business, I mean, if you want to do anything great, you've got to really count the cost and say, okay, this is going to cost me something. And uh, for them, it cost them, definitely cost them, but uh, they just made up their mind. They decided, like mom said, that that was dad's calling in life. Um, and man, I wish more, more young fathers and mothers would, would agree with that. Uh, would stop looking for some kind of purpose outside of your kids. Like the, the kids that God's given you, you, you'd be sh shocked at how quickly this time goes and how quickly the years go and you don't have them anymore. And so while you have them, my goodness, this is your calling. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't do other stuff. You can't pastor a church. You know, you can. But, but your primary calling is your kids. You sacrifice the most for your children. You sacrifice the most for them. And I know a lot of people that will sacrifice for their kids to have better shoes, will sacrifice for their kids to be in a lot, multiple sports programs. But, but for my parents, the sacrifice was for us to know God. Um, 
they wouldn't even let me buy shoes over 50 bucks. I remember Nike Air came out, man, the little air pockets in the back. I couldn't get them because they were $65. And I was 13, 1993. And I, I remember that. I couldn't get them. But they were more than happy to sacrifice for the call of God on our lives, to take a vacation for a whole week, stay in a hotel and go to camp maybe. That's not cheap. And that's where we spent our money because that's what was important uh, to my parents. And so that's what became important to me, this idea that God matters in my life. God is important. It's not, it's not just something we talk about. It's something that we actually sacrifice for. And I was able to see them do that. So one scripture that they wanted to share with you all today that we've had a plaque of this on our uh, bathroom wall ever since I was little, as long as I can remember. It's 3 John chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, John, who's an old saint, uh, he writes to his spiritual children, and he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And uh, that's something that mom and dad have quoted and I've read in the bathroom for all my life. Um, but it really is true that that is their greatest joy. Now, they have other joys, of course, and Christmas was one of those, you know, buying us a lot of presents for Christmas. We, we, we have other joys, but the greatest joy is to hear that their children are walking in truth. To hear means that somebody else is telling you this, that you don't hope, that you don't believe that their heart is right. It's amazing how we judge our kids based on their, what we think their motive is, but we judge other people's kids based on what they say or do. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, to hear that they're walking with God, to, to have other people report on their character, on their walk with God, on their prayer life, to have other people. I have no greater joy than for somebody else to recognize God in my kid's life. And so he says to know that they're walking in the truth. And walking in the truth is not just that they're going to church, although that's part of it. It's not just that they're reading their Bible, although that's part of it. To walk in the truth, uh, if you read Third John or First John and Second John, it'll take you 15 minutes. You should go home and do it. Uh, John talks about walking in the truth and walking in the light. These two things are almost synonymous with each other because the truth of God is light. It is a light for our life. It helps us see where we are to go. Scripture tells us that his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so to walk in the light means to, to walk in the revelation that God gives you. In other words, to be a Christian is to do everything that you know to do all the time. Not anything more than you know to do. You don't judge yourself by somebody else's standards because they, they might know more than you. But to, to follow God, to walk in the truth, is to do every, to walk in all of the light that you have all the time. And then as you do that, God reveals more light. As you take another step, there's another bit illuminated. You say, oh, okay, God wants our family to do that. And okay, God wants our family to do this. And you grow in that. But, but to, to walk in the truth, to walk in the light, is to do everything that you know to do all the time. And to never do anything that you know not to do. You guys are looking at me like deer in the headlights. What? I thought, I thought it would. Uh, no. And like, that's, that's just it. That is what it means to walk in the truth, which is why we're kicking off the year, 21 days of prayer and fasting, because fasting is one of the things we know to do. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, when you fast. Now, fasting is not for me. I just don't believe in that. Well, you need to get saved and believe in it, because Jesus said... Jesus said, when you fast. Jesus said, when you pray. And we, we've, we've turned those around to if you fast and if you pray. Scripture also says, if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We've switched that around to when you sin. And I, I can't help but wonder if there's a direct correlation between the ifs and the whens that we've switched out. Because we say, if I fast and if I pray, we have to say, when I sin. Because there's nothing to keep us away from sin when we're not fasting and praying. But instead, Scripture, just to tell you what it says, it says when you fast and when you pray. So starting next Sunday, some of us, hopefully all of us, are going to be fasting something, giving up something for God, and then gathering here Monday through Friday to pray. When you fast, when you pray, then if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. If you do something that you know you shouldn't do, you have forgiveness, God. Holy Spirit convicts you. 
And that's what we want. We want our families to be to be the, the kind of family that is doing these exercises. That's my third E. We got uh, examples, encounters, and exercises uh, to discipline yourself, to, to really challenge yourself. Number one, how often am I praying? How often am I reading the Bible? How often am I going to church? How often am I tithing? How often am I doing the things that I know to do, that I know I ought to do? How often am I doing that? And then secondly, how often are my kids doing that? Uh, even as young kids, we had to tithe uh, 10%. Now, you could say, well, that's, that's, if it's not voluntary, it's stealing. And it's true. They stole for the Lord. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, but it, it wasn't an option. We didn't have a choice. And so we learned from a young age that, hey, 90% is actually quite a bit. If you manage your money pretty well, you'll be just fine. Not only that, but you'll have the joy of blessing others and reaching out to others, and God's church will grow, and you'll actually be a part of it. And I've never been a part of a church where I said, I just don't feel connected. Because wherever your seed is, wherever you're sowing, that's where your connection is. And I've always had this deep connection. I didn't know it was a benefit of stuff that they taught me. But anyway, so this is what we want. We want to see our families. I'm telling you, our church is only as strong as our individual families within the church. It's not as strong as my preaching, thank God. It's not as strong as my voice or my allergies, thank the Lord. It's not as strong as our worship team. It's as strong as our individual families, our, our ability to foster the presence of God at home and a commitment to God, a commitment to God. This is, this is what changes the world. This is, what, this is what Austin sees and says, wow, you're different. What's, what's so different about you? This is what changes uh, our, our city. And so that's what we want to see. We want to see some, some people that are having godly examples, having God encounters, and finally having godly exercises. Uh, one last quote that they wanted to share. I don't know if you want to share this, uh, something that, did you read? Sure. <laughs> Sorry. Um, that youth pastor that came over and seen his underwear come flying in the room, we um, actually became very close friends with them. And so this past week before we headed down here, um, I met, for, met her for lunch, wanting to know if I could share a story of theirs. And um, they said, certainly. And so I just wanted to tell you about this family, her husband, father, okay? So... They had five boys, very close in age. They lived in a two-bedroom house, and so the five boys were in one room. The mom and dad were in the other room. And uh, the mom and dad, the dad was actually an evangelist, but back in that day, you worked 40 hours a week, and then you went out at night and to whatever church you got a, a, a invited to. And so uh, they would take their boys. They taught them how to harmonize. The mother played the piano, and they, they just went right straight down, and they would sing. And so they grew up in a really a godly home. Well, he shares that he remembers. And so dads, this is all for you. <laughs> no moms do. But anyway, he shares, he remembers that when they didn't have an evangelistic meeting, that they would be home in the evening. And mind you, the dad has worked an eight-hour day, got home, ate dinner, and the boys would go outside in the neighborhood and be playing softball or that with the kid, with the neighbors. Or they got to watch a few programs on TV. They'd be watching a TV program. And then all of a sudden, the dad would come to the door, and his name was Tom, and he'd holler real loud, Thomas. And, you know, Tom said, he said, I'd roll my eyes, and I'm going, oh, great. And he said, I'd holler to the guys out there, hey, I'll be back in a minute. Keep playing, and I'll be back. And so he'd run in the house. Well, the dad then took him into his bedroom, sat down on the floor, uh, Indian style, and Tom would sit right in his lap, and his dad would spend the next 15 minutes or so praying over him. And I mean, he was very Pentecostal, he was very loud, and so Tom said, you know, it was not, oh God, please bless my child, help him to be, no. He prayed God down on him asked God that he would be a light in his school, that young little kids, I mean, he was six, seven, eight, did it for years, that he would um, lead someone to the Lord the next day and that um, he would do great things for God. Well, he had five boys, all four of them, three of them are pastors. Another one was um, in the ministry also. 
and after he was done with Tom, he'd call the next son. So he spent his evening, it came out to be about an hour and a half every night praying over his children, his sons. I mean, heartfelt, hard prayers, you know. And Tom says he can still hear in his head the prayers that his dad prayed over him. And um, so I just wanted to encourage you. You know what? It doesn't have to be once a week. <laughs> once a week. I mean, or, you know, whatever you have. But um, your kids will not forget. Hands laid on their head asking God to fill them and to use them and to do whatever he wants to do with them. And so I just wanted to share that. That's good. So good. Last quote that uh, really spoke to mom and dad when they were uh, raising us says that the light that shines the farthest will shine the brightest at home. That's Oswald J. Smith. Uh, the light that shines the farthest will shine the brightest at home. And I think that spoke to them because uh, they really did want to do great things for God. They did want to shine far. They wanted to change the world, which I see a lot of that in me and in you all. Uh, we are constantly blessing the community, reaching out, and serving people. We want to shine far, and I think that's admirable. I think it's good, but the way to do that is to shine the brightest uh, at home. Uh, the way to, to make the greatest impact uh, in this world, across the seas, uh, throughout Austin, wherever, is to have your home be shining so bright. And by shining bright, I mean the light of of Christ in your home. That doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that they didn't have arguments growing up, and I didn't hear that as well. It doesn't mean that that they they knew everything that they ought to be doing. Uh, but literally, it does mean that you're doing everything that you know to do. And then God takes care of stuff as you grow. He deals with stuff. And so to say, okay, we know this. We know we need to be at church. We know we need to have our family at church. We know we need to be at, need, we need to be at prayer meetings. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the stories that I was thinking about was um, a few weeks ago I talked about those Christian classic books out there in the hallway, and uh, I talked about uh, the one by A.W. Tozer, Knowledge of the Holy, and uh, those are available for you to borrow for free. Uh, they're Christian classics. Uh, go ahead and grab them, read them. But um, the one I was talking about was Knowledge of the Holy, and I said this book changed my life, and it really did. It's a short book about who God is, and uh, I read it when I was 10. But actually, I first read it, when I didn't read it, I heard it being read. Uh, because when I was eight, mom would drop, when we started homeschooling, mom would drop me and Peter off at that pastor's uh, 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 study, his office, and he would pray for two hours every day from 10 to noon, and then we would have a sort of group noon hour prayer. And so mom would just drop us off, I don't know for how long, it felt like the whole two hours, but... I don't know. She'd drop us off, and she'd be like, all right, you guys go pray with uh, Pastor Rusty. I'll be by at noon. And so we would sit in his study, and she was <laughs> serving the Lord and uh, cleaning the church. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, because we lived in the parsonage yes, uh, next to the church, yeah. And so she would drop us off, and we would sit in, in his office and listen to him pray and listen to him read. He'd often grab Knowledge of the Holy and just start reading it. And so that's where I first started, you know, hearing about knowledge of the Holy. So, so many uh, things that changed my life were things that, uh, that were just a part of the culture that we were immersed in. And so I really want to establish that. I feel like we are establishing a God culture here at City Chapel. Um, but it's not going to do you any good if you don't jump into it, if you don't commit to it, if you don't say, man, in 2019, our family is going to start maybe – not praying an hour and a half every night, but maybe once a week, uh, praying just as a family. Uh, we do the round-the-table uh, text messages that go out every week. That's for you to go through the stuff that are teaching your kids over there, for you to learn it here. Um, and uh, I, I want to encourage you to take advantage of that. Uh, we have so many uh, great examples of families you can get to know. Get to know the Joneses. Get to know Pastor Eddie and Priscilla. Uh, they're first-generation uh, uh, Christians as well. And uh, they know a lot about turning, turning that boat. I was talking to Eddie. I was telling him about what we were going to speak on, about really making it a priority to, to make sure our kids get to know God. 
and, uh, and, 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 and I was talking about how p- parents have all kinds of priorities. They usually don't involve God. And so, man, if we could involve God, that this would really turn our families around. And uh, he talked about how, how, I don't know if you know Eddie's story, but when he, he's, he looks uh, Asian because he is. Uh, he's, from, he's from the Philippines. And uh, yeah, there's Eddie right back there. He was telling the kids during uh, they were they were they were doing their their kids their kids play and during practice he said uh, I I heard him say look into my Asian eyes and uh, he was getting them to look at him and um, and I was like okay and so then Micah came and told me later he said he said Pastor Eddie thinks he has ancient eyes <laughs> he said they're not that old I said you know it's true he doesn't have ancient eyes. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he <laughs> the man whom he called his father uh, was really his stepfather who passed away just recently. Uh, but his stepfather was an American soldier who met his mom, and they, uh, uh, she immigrated over here with him, uh, moved into San Marcos back, I don't know, 150 years ago, when there was, like, nobody here. Um, and after, after his dad's, after his stepdad's funeral, we went back to that house. It's the same house. She's living in the same house. And she was talking about how much San Marcos had changed. I'm like, yeah, I'll bet. Like, there's all these houses around. She still had the same dining room set that they brought over from the Philippines. It was really awesome. But, but as Eddie was growing up, he felt, as a teenager, he felt a lot of pressure to get good grades. And, and, I, and I know a lot of parents are like, you've got to get good grades because you've got to go to college because you've got to make more money than me. And it's just this pressure on them. And, and I don't know that his parents ever said that, but he felt this pressure of, I, I really need to get good grades. And uh, in high school, he was struggling with one of the classes. I don't know if he flunked it or not. You can ask. You can ask Eddie. But he was afraid to tell his dad. He was so fearful to tell his dad that he was struggling. His dad's a military guy, you know, works hard. And so he finally told him. He had to break it to him. And his dad said, "Eddie, I don't care if you go to college or not. I just want you to do something that you love that makes you happy." And Eddie said, "It just just a, a weight was lifted off his shoulders." He's like, "Huh." Because so many times as parents, it's like we can have these expectations on our kids and we need them to do this. And that is such a burden on your kids that they should never have. Um, But then you have Eddie's parents and his dad, actually it's a testament to his dad, that his dad recognized that, hey, college is not the most important thing. Doing something you're good at is more important. And so he kind of liberated Eddie from that. But when Eddie and I were talking, I said, "That's, that's good. But what's even better is what my parents would have said. If I would have asked them what's most important to you, they would have said, Harry, we just want you to do what God wants you to do. Uh, Pastor Eddie's dad wanted him to be happy. My parents wanted me to be happy. The difference is they had learned the only path to happiness is serving the God who created you to begin with. And so if you can just follow him, you'll be happy. It's the secret to the most happy life you could ever have. And so my parents made it very clear. Their expectation of me was that I would do whatever God wanted me to do. And, and I, would, I, w- I would ask you, if you were to ask, if you were to go home and ask your kids, what's the most important thing to mom? What's the most important thing to dad for you? See what they say. Just give it a little test. They might say grades. They might say athletics. They might say that I'm successful. They might say that I marry somebody, whatever. I don't know. Or they might say that, God's in my life. But uh, whatever they say, why don't you make it a goal that this time next year, your kids would say, no, I think you just want me to know God. I think that's the most important thing to you. Uh, And that comes from making making that turn every single day. So thank you, Mom and Dad, for sharing with us and for encouraging us. Would you like to just pray over our church before we have an offering time with a microphone. Father, thank you for this day. And God, I lift up the families of City Chapel and I ask God that you do a work that only you can do in them. I pray God that they will do all they can do to walk out their Christianity at home and to bring their children with them. God, I pray that there would be a great purpose in each one's heart, that their children follow hard after you, that their children love you. God, I pray that you would be forever with them. 
And God, when it is does get discouraging, God, I pray they um, either seek somebody out or you encourage them. You bring a scripture to them. Their kids say something sweet to them. God, I pray that you do a mighty work in the uh, families of City Chapel. And God, I pray for extra grace for the moms and the dads and that you work in them and they lead their children. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, guys.